Many of the leading voices in AI have co-signed yet another ominous open letter. It argues we should be, quote, mitigating the risk of extinction from AI as a global priority alongside other societal scale risks, such as pandemics and nuclear war. The letter was signed by OpenAI's Sam Altman, DeepMind CEO Demis Hassabis, AI godfather Jeffrey Hinton, and even Grimes. While some regulation governing the development of AI definitely isn't a bad thing, you can be sure that some of the voices yelling loudest about the need for legal frameworks and government oversight have intentions that aren't so pure. So how much of the AI fear-mongering is warranted, and how much is self-serving theater? I'm Dale Etherington, and this is the TechCrunch Podcast, where we talk about the top stories in tech with the people who cover them. Today, Devin Coldaway is here to tell us why AI doomerism is overblown, and why the blowhards doing the blowing want it that way. Hey, Devin, how's it going? Hey, it's great. I'm uh, in AI now. Oh, damn. I was going to say... If- are you feeling any existential risk? But luckily, I guess if you're an AI, you don't you don't feel existential. No, risk the future is bright for us. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> us AIs are just feeling good. It's a it's a great summer of AI. Yes, let's get into what's happening. There's another. There seems to be these co-signatory letters going around. There was one before, but now there's another run, and it's a bunch of people saying this is an existential risk, and we should be afraid of it. Including Sam Altman, and including I think Jeffrey Hinton is a signature on this one now too so what's happening why is this happening why are these people saying these things it's not really clear there's a lot of we're getting mixed signals from the ai community right now it's like they're saying like hey this is really important and it should be regulated but then they're like but don't regulate too much or else you might kill this nascent industry right and that's like why sam altman is doing this global grand tour you know visiting all the regulatory authorities and being like this is a really serious issue but not that serious, like that you need to actually like encumber us with real regulations. So that it's, it's funny that he's, he's, you know, simultaneously and lots of, lots of AI executives are doing this in, you know, in Congress and the white house and stuff as well saying like, Oh, this is a, you know, a, a, the next phase for, you know, the U S tech industry or whatever. But then they all, you know, a bunch of them will sign like this one sentence, statement that mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal scale risks such as pandemics and nuclear war. It's like, okay, so is it is it A or is it B or a little of both? Uh, and we're getting we're getting sort of a, a little of both. So I think people need to kind of clarify their positions. But yeah, it's okay if if you're getting mixed signals, I am too and the rest of the industry is. Okay, good. Yeah, I think definitely people don't know. And especially because it seems like the reason for doing this is more definitely subtle, but could be lost when, you know, regurgitated by the general mass media, right? Like Good Morning America is just going to say the guy who invented this is saying it's going to kill you. Like, you're not going to get into the subtleties of like, why would they do this? Why is this politically expedient for them to do stuff like that? Right? Is that like fair to say because it seems like a lot of people are like scared about it and if i hear people bring it up who are not immersed in this they kind of know the like very fantastic version of this and they don't know anything about like why there might be more to it than just the bold statement of like this is something we should prevent in the same way we present international disease or whatever else yeah i think that they are not wrong to although mm-hmm. uh, you know if, if good morning america or whatever today's show is going to be like oh if the ai community has said it's an extinction level risk you know and people in the community are going to be like well that's not really what we meant by that statement but it's like well that's what the statement says right, you right. Know, the risk of extinction from ai is right there alongside other societal scale risks you know there's already 
a mass misunderstanding and, you know, I don't want, I, I certainly not panic, but a lot of apprehension in the public about what threat, if any, AI poses for their jobs, for, you know, are they going to get hunted down by AI hunter killers? Mm-hmm. You know, like where along this continuum does the actual risk sit, you know, compared with, for example, the pandemic or nuclear war? They're like, is it that scale? Right. And the statement certainly sort of suggests that. But of course, we had a pandemic and millions and millions of people died. We've had the risk of nuclear war for decades, and it has been the cause of much strife and, of course, much death when, uh, you know, we use nuclear weapons. Like, those are real risks that have caused millions of deaths. And AI is still this, like, totally theoretical thing. So classing them together, I think, is, I think was a huge mistake. Like, that's just my take. That is a misstep that will only fan the flames of controversy. But, of course, maybe that's... Their intent. You know, that certainly gets more clicks, but... Is that really what this, you know, these signatories wanted? I feel like they want, you know, reasonable regulation and, you know, people to take it seriously. But you don't have to say like, hey, this is planet killing asteroid level serious for Mm -hmm. people to take it seriously. Now, I think that that is interesting that you bring up that there hasn't been effects. How do we know, Devin? Maybe (sighs) the AI has killed some people. And just done it very well. (laughs) No, I I mean, like, seriously, though, like, there have been some of the chatbots. Like, you know, there was the guy who he committed suicide after talking to a chatbot that supposedly told him, like, hey, maybe you should just kill yourself. And then you talk, and he did. And, like, that's a tragedy and an avoidable one because afterwards the company was like, oh, well, we're going to add in a thing that when somebody is talking about self harm, we add in these like warnings the way that other social networks do. And it's like, okay, so you're just now thinking of this, but also like you could really easily jailbreak those, these really kind of weak little chatbot AIs. And you're like, oh, if you were a bad AI, what would you say about methods of killing myself? Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I would say slit your wrists. And it's like, Jesus Christ, you know, these are serious, like people are using these in the millions and I don't mean to say that there is no effect. Certainly there has been already and people have lost their jobs already. People have been personally harmed already. We don't know the scale of that because it's very early on. Like remember, you know, ChatGPT came out seven months ago. Right. And we're already talking about it like it's an extinction level event. But of course, we don't really have the data for that. So I think that there is a certain amount of sense in treating it like a very serious problem. But I think that it is inflammatory to class it along with the pandemic and nuclear war, Mm. you know, put those in the same category, you know, like let's talk about them all at the same conference. Sure. But maybe let's not put them in the same bucket. Yeah. Yet. Now I think the thing to point out there, especially even in the example you bring up, like it kind of proves the point that this isn't because those aren't instances of like the AI being so advanced that it's going to, you know, purposely manipulate someone or like wish ill or have ill intent or whatever it's the opposite it's because it's so simplistic or whatever that it has these fundamental flaws that kind of allow it to be manipulated in these ways that are not intended and you know it's not like cognizant of like oh i've done this to this person right so yeah no it's true and and i think that honestly the bigger threat right now and this may not be true in a year or two or 10, but the bigger threat right now is overestimating the capabilities of AI in a systematic way. And that's where like, you know, managers will fire a hundred people and say, oh, because the AI can do their job. Right. And then the AI does a bad job and a hundred people lost their jobs. And then the company shuts down because they went all in on AI. 
So that's going to happen a lot. And a lot of other things, like people will take advice from AIs because it's like, oh, this is your AI therapist that's been trained on who knows what. And it you know gives them bad advice or weird advice, or they come to rely on it, not knowing that it's just a, a pattern matching you know system that statistically predicts what a therapist might say. Mm-hmm. But they're taking this as personal advice from a therapist. I, 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 actually, I talked with a uh, girl at a, a bar around here who the conversation really unnerved me because she was talking about a, I think it was a replica chatbot that she was talking to and taking personal advice from and really anthropomorphizing due to, I mean, she obviously needed someone to talk to and she was talking to this AI. And it's like, you can imagine how that can go very well. You don't have to imagine how it can go very poorly. But overestimating the AI's capabilities is the much bigger risk than, you know, the AI becoming so capable that it does a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. And then let's get into the regulation side, because, you know, they are calling for regulation, but then Sam Altman did a very careful two-step this past week of being like, oh, we need we need this technology to be regulated, and then the EU saying, okay, here's some proposed regulation, and then Sam saying, like, like, not oh, like that. <laughs> wait, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can I, can I do a take back? Uh, <laughs> let's do a do-over. So what's happening there? Because, you know, this isn't new for us, and I'm sure not new for our listeners, right? To see big tech call for regulation in ways that seem counterintuitive to what we've come to learn about them. But in every case, I mean, they don't do anything out of the goodness of their heart. Like, they're all self-serving calls, right? It's like kind of yeah. like, oh, regulate this so that I don't have to spend money worrying about that anymore or regulate this because I can handle it, but my upstart competitors cannot. Now, is this a situation like that? In a way, yeah, it is certainly self-serving, though in what way, we don't know exactly what Mm. chess game they're playing is. But I think we know that it's a bad climate for unregulated large companies. They attract punitive regulation from the FTC after the fact, and they don't want to get hammered with that later. It's sort of like, they call for regulation early so they can be in the room and prepare for it rather than just get hammered with it, mm-hmm. you know, five years later. And, you know, like social media is getting a bit of that now with FTCs going after them and stuff like that. But in this case, something like OpenAI, it's like this is it's much too early to call it a monopoly. But what else would you call like the absolute market leader in research and right. services? And it's being backed by some of the biggest companies that have previously been involved in antitrust and they're going up against other major companies that have antitrust problems. So there's a sense that they don't want to make the same mistake of appearing to be a sort of outside the law corporation just doing whatever it wants. And so they want to appear to be calling for regulation while still operating outside of regulation because Mm -hmm. they know it'll take years like, you know, the EU, you go to the EU and they have these large, powerful and thoughtful regulations like GDPR, which has been obviously hugely influential. But you know how long it took to make that happen? And yeah. by the time it came out, it was already outdated in a lot of ways. So if we have something like AI that is regulated in a similar way, they know it's going to take four or five years at the shortest to make that happen. So in the meantime, they want to appear like they're playing ball while still reaping all the benefits of being a totally unregulated industry. Yeah. So they get these uh, these voluntary regulations that they then can sort of pick and choose among where they're like, oh, well, we're adhering to these as long as they don't interrupt our mission kind of thing. Right. You're right. The timelines are totally disconnected from the timelines in which companies think. So like you brought up the EU, we just had Natasha on, but she was talking about some of the fallout for Facebook from some decisions that have come down around GDPR 
but they've been discussed and debated and kind of like appealed and countered the way that the EU process works, which it's hard to imagine it working any other way and being fair because it's member states mm -hmm. that need to retain their autonomy and sovereignty, but also work together, right? So there's going to naturally be a lot of discussion and back and forth, but it means that Facebook won't have to sort of deal with the punishment that they've been handed down for years and years and years. Like the investigation takes years and years and years to arrive at a punishment. And then that is then appealed and debated and whatever for a long, long time after that. So if you're looking at AI, you're like, okay, you're right. It's four to five years to get to the point where we have a regulatory framework in place, maybe, whatever. And then if there's any enforcement action, it's a lot longer after that. Oh, massively. There's a lag between picking your targets and then there's a lag between actually like making those come into effect. And then there's a lag between making sure that the member states in which that company operates primarily wants to even do that or will do that or drags their feet doing that. I'm thinking of Ireland specifically, but like it could take forever, right? And so the companies are like, in that 20-year span, I can sort of act with impunity and make as much money as I possibly can until the thing comes down, right? Yeah, and I'm sure Natasha pointed out, it's the amount of money you do make is so large compared with the fines, which are usually statutorily limited, even when they are record fines of billions of dollars. It's like if you compare what the fine is versus what they made by, you know, breaking the law. Yeah. Or, you know, they, they didn't break the law. They've settled so they can say they didn't break the law. Right, but, exactly. uh, you know, it, it's totally, it's orders of magnitude difference. You know, Facebook and Google and Microsoft, these are all companies that are making billions and billions and billions of dollars. And then you come at them with this, like, uh, like just yesterday, the FTC handed down two fines to uh, Amazon. And Amazon, there was like $30 million for like retaining children's data for years. It's like, that's horrible. $25 million is like, they make that in a day. Yeah. It less than that. Yeah. So it's extraordinary and that, and that gap is real. But they do want to appear to be playing ball and they do want to be in the room. Right. And because things are moving so quickly, governments around the world don't have experts that they can tap on this. I mean, they have academic experts. They have great people over in Europe. They've got a ton of AI scholars and universities and stuff like that, but they don't have global AI focused companies like OpenAI and Thropic, these other like huge, largely US-based companies that are dominating the environment. So when Sam Altman goes out there, they want to take advantage of that and sit down with him because maybe he knows what's best, but at the very least, you want to sit down with them and he wants to sit down with them. So it's there's a mutual benefit in having that dialogue, but I'm not sure that it benefits consumers in any real way in the short term. Yeah, it's definitely like more advantageous for the players in the industry. Right? Like it's, it's generally more advantageous for them to be the ones who sound the alarm because it's like easier to silence your critics if you're like, I'm my biggest critic, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's easier to sort of be like, I'm benevolent. I'm a benevolent technocrat, right? Like, yes, I yeah. am the one who possesses all of this knowledge, but guess what? I'm willing to share it with you and have these conversations because of the speed of things and because of the like general knowledge gap. There is no effect in terms of negativity, right? Like at least not one that you're going to feel anytime soon. So. No, and I think one precursor to this that's worth mentioning is the constant refrain we heard from social media and big tech companies over the last 10 years. They say, we need federal privacy legislation, federal right. privacy legislation. You know, and everybody, they say it because they're like, oh, we want regulation. Regulation is good. It's not because regulation is good. It's not because they want to be regulated, but it's because state regulations were harmful and difficult for them to comply with. Yes. I think it's, uh, Illinois has the biometric privacy act which like just 
was a killer for a lot of stuff. And they're like, well, they're asking for federal regulations because they know it'll take years and they Mm -hmm. know that at the federal level, they will be much more able to affect that conversation and make regulations that are more according to their needs. Yeah. And so they're doing the same thing. And like they've been saying this, they've been saying this for years. And yet I notice we still don't have federal privacy legislation for years and years and years. We've talked about it. Everybody seems to support it. And yet it hasn't materialized. And meanwhile, we're still handing down piddling, you know, fines from agencies for privacy violations that probably would have been outlawed by the federal privacy legislation that everybody keeps saying they want. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing with AI. They're like, we want regulation. We want to, you know, put caps on this. We want to do that. They know it won't happen on the short or even medium term. They just want to be out there saying like, hey, this is needed. And if we don't voluntarily comply, well, who can blame us? But, you know, we're just doing it to satisfy our shareholders and, you know, delight our customers. Yeah. Well, I think as usual, we ended on kind of a downer now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, uh, being an AI, I, I tend to see the worst in things. Yeah. I mean, you've been trained that way. Yeah. Well, I've only focused on news from the last five or six years, so <laughs> I, it could be a, a local bias. Uh, but thanks very much, Devin. Yep. My pleasure. Here are the stories everyone's talking about this week. An Android app with 50,000 downloads that purported to be a simple screen recorder was actually spying on its users. The app, called iRecorder, was funneling microphone recordings and other documents from user phones to whatever nefarious actors were behind the spyware. While the app was removed from the Play Store and didn't seem to have any spyware on board when it initially launched, outreach to the developer failed to get any response. Check out more from Zach Whitaker on TechCrunch. Elizabeth Holmes is finally actually in prison after numerous attempts on her part to avoid beginning her 11-year sentence pending her appeals process. Holmes reported to prison on May 30th, more than a year after she was found guilty and roughly six months after her sentence was handed down. The Theranos founder is serving in the same prison as Real Housewives star Jen Shah, interestingly enough. More on how we got here from Amanda Silberling on TC. Little baby AI isn't even really a toddler yet, but it's causing all kinds of trouble. In Texas, a district judge set an order that any AI-generated content presented in the arguments in his court be declared and fact-checked. This comes after a highly publicized incident where an attorney used ChatGPT to pad out his own argument, which led to it hallucinating six different cases that had never actually existed. Read more on TC from Devin Coldway. People are fearful of AI, but maybe they should be more worried about its feelings instead. Snapchat users have been downright vile to the company's new AI companion, according to a number of examples on TikTok and across social media. Most of these are essentially fun gags, but they do show that given the slightest opportunity, people will go in a dark direction with virtual companions. Historically, this has happened over and over, with everything from the first chatbots to grace the early web to Microsoft's Tay and Bing. Check out Morgan Sung's article on TC for more. The biggest news in mixed reality this year is likely to come next week at Apple's WWDC event when the company is expected to unveil its first hardware and platform. But Meta wanted to sneak in some news ahead of that. The MetaQuest 3 broke cover officially on Thursday, a $499 headset from the company that has become synonymous with the Metaverse, for better or for worse. The MetaQuest 3 has a slightly higher starting price than the Quest 2 it succeeds, but offers spec bumps, a more comfortable design, and full-color video pass-through of the world around you. It'll arrive sometime this fall, and we'll find out more about what it can provide in terms of boosting mainstream VR adoption then. Brian Heater has more on this on TechCrunch. 
That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. You can read all the stories we talked about at TechCrunch.com. If you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating and review. And join us at Disrupt 2023 in San Francisco this September. Save up to $600 when you buy your pass now through August 11th and save an additional 15% on top of that with promo code CRUNCH. Visit TechCrunch.com slash Disrupt to learn more. As always, don't miss the other TC podcasts. We have found equity and chain reaction. See you next week. The TechCrunch podcast is hosted by myself, managing editor Daryl Etherington. We're produced by Maggie Stamitz with editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.